Hey guys, this is Emma from The Horse Cure, the podcast for those of us who know that horses really are the cure for all that ails you. Today we hear from Claire Staples of Sky Dog Sanctuary and Sky Dog Ranch with locations in Malibu and Mariposa, California and Bend, Oregon. Claire shares her passion for horses in general and wild horses specifically. Claire covers a broad range of topics here from personal stories of adopted and rescued horses to slaughter to working with the federal government to volunteers and the differences they can make. Claire not only has a giant heart when it comes to neglected and abused animals, she's got a work ethic and determination to match. I hope you enjoy the story of Sky Dog Sanctuary and Ranch as much as I do. Claire, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you become the horsewoman that you are? And the activist, I don't know if that's a word that you want me to use, but you are working hard to preserve, you know, our national history and Mustangs and horses in general and health and welfare. How did you become this woman? How did that happen? Well, I grew up in England, which is an unlikely place for um, a Mustang lover to be raised. (laughs) But an American Mustang lover. I, funnily enough, I didn't have that happy of a childhood. And I sort of disappeared into a world of kind of fantasy and make believe to escape my reality, I think. And I used to watch all these TV shows like um, Bonanza and The Virginian and Little House on the Prairie. Oh. And I sort of imprinted on this like a little goose. And I was like, I need to go there. And the most the favorite TV show that I had was this this little thing called Champion the Wonder Horse, which was this black and white TV series about this band of Mustangs and a little boy called Ricky. And I just, I used to think about it as I fell asleep and it had this soundtrack. And I didn't realize, you know, that years later, I think it had sort of made such an impression on me, these wild horses that lived free and wild. And I think it sort of touched something in my spirit. When I was little, I galloped everywhere. I did not walk. I (laughs) rode an invisible horse. And it, you know, I don't know little girls and horses. I think it sort of runs deep. And, Mm -hmm. And I had a love for them from a very early age. And I begged my mom for probably five or six years for a horse before I was allowed to have one. And I used to get dropped off at the local barn um, after school where I would do chores for them and just um, I actually had a a desire even back then to let all the horses out of their stalls because (laughs) I thought they wanted to run around and I think I got in trouble for doing that once which was very helpful I'm sure so eventually my mom sort of sat me down and said okay you're old enough to have your own horse but what you have to understand is you have to go there every morning and every afternoon no matter what you know whether there's something on tv whether you're not feeling well whether you want to do something else and you know, I look back on that and I promised I would and I did. And I think it informed an enormous amount in me about, you know, having a work ethic and showing up and having responsibility and committing to something, which I think has stayed with me through my life, you know. And it's one of the amazing things I think horses can do for children or adults is, you know, you're responsible for something else bigger than you. And I think it, it sort of takes you out of being selfish and self-centered. So I think All of those things were life lessons that stayed with me. And then all I knew is I wanted to move to America because I thought I was going to marry Trampus from the Virginian or Elvis or something. Sure. (laughs) And uh, I managed to get a job working here, but it was in New York and very different kind of cowboys. But my (laughs) life always led me back to the horses. Amazingly in my life, when things weren't as good, I always kind of went to the barn or found horses or they came back into my life to sort of heal me, I think, and kind of 
steer me back onto the right road. So they've always been a teacher for me and I've always had a deep love for them. So I think that explains some of where the root of it began. Sure. Yeah. And I think you're not the only one. Horses heal a lot in us. It's surprising, I think, especially for the non-horse person to understand that. But yeah, I think you're a long line of many who feel that same way. I do believe that. Claire, where did Sky Dog come from? How did this start? We're Sky Dog Sanctuary at Sky Dog Ranch, which is a little confusing, but it Mm -hmm. kind of works. It's funny. I was going through a kind of a period in my life of kind of change, and I got my first horse. I was living in LA working here from England probably a good 10 years ago. And um, I just sort of wanted something else in my life. I was kind of working hard in my career. And I decided to, I used to go and walk my Great Dane actually up in Beechwood Canyon, which was up in the Hollywood Hills. And I'd see these horses riding by. And at the time I had a friend and, and she suddenly told me that she had a horse up at this barn where these people rode out of. So I got my first horse, Elvis, which was a quarter horse. And then there was a girl there who had a Mustang called Buddy. And they used to get turned out together. And I would just sit there and like watch Buddy. And I just thought he was very special. And in the end, this girl offered to sell him to me as a second horse. Oh, wow. And I would be out riding and um, people would ask me about his brand. And I didn't really understand a lot about Mustangs, you know, at the time of what the issues were and the, the kind of trouble that they were in, really. But I would be riding Buddy out in the Hollywood Hills above Los Angeles. And we would run and then Buddy would stop and he would do these really huge deep sighs. And this is going to sound really strange, but it is what happened. And I would get this feeling of like, find my family, help my family. And I have no idea to say where that came from. Buddy is this extraordinary horse and a lot of people kind of feel like he speaks to them. And I didn't really understand what it meant at the time, but later on in my journey, I actually did manage to find some of his family. But I started to look much more deeply and went sort of down this rabbit hole of understanding Mustang issues. And it kind of coincided. I moved from my house in West Hollywood. I decided to get my own place out in Calabasas where I could have my horses. And I rescued two or three more Mustangs with a friend. And I then met my husband and we started just saving them, like donating to rescues or sanctuaries or kill pen rescues and predominantly Mustangs because of Buddy. And then I realized these horses were kind of circling back and ending up back in the slaughter pipeline or ending up in bad places. And I thought, well, the only way I'm ever going to know these horses are completely safe is to take some myself. And we bought a bigger place in Malibu and we started saving some more. And then one day I kind of came up to the house and looked at Chris and said, we're going to need a bigger ranch. (laughs) (laughs) I realized we were going to need a lot of land because there were a lot of mustangs in trouble. So that's when, uh, at the time I'd been, I'd gone and volunteered at Return to Freedom, at Lifesavers, at Big Heart Ranch, where they did a lot of equine therapy. I'd gone to Black Hills and I had started to sort of wonder if this was something I could do myself. It took off from there. We found this amazing 9,000 acre property in Oregon with a lot of water on it, which I thought was important. And little by little, set off down this road of... uh, I'm trying to help. It started off, I was trying to help the Mustangs I could just save them from bad situations. But then I realized doing that wasn't never going to be enough. Like we had to make some changes higher up the chain, you know, at a policy level. And my focus has kind of changed in the last year or two to trying much harder to sort of get certain things changed at a policy level within the BLM and also at a sort of law level with passing the SAFE Act and just try and do what I can with the horses that we have. I feel like they act as ambassadors and their stories need to be told and they highlight certain issues. So we've tried to rescue horses that highlight and educate and raise awareness for certain things that people might not have known about because I feel like facts 
tell and stories sell. And I feel like telling their stories causes an emotional reaction in people to take an action. So I've tried to constantly tell stories and rescue horses. And now we started making more films with Jamie from This Mustang Life. She came along on a rescue we did recently to kind of highlight these issues. So we've gone more and more as we grow and as we learn a lot more, we've started to, you know, focus on different issues. But that's where we are now. And Sky Dog actually came about, someone told me this story about it's a Blackfoot legend about when some Native American Plains Indians first saw horses and they called them sky dogs. Oh. You know, the, the chief said they're, they're like the elk and the buffalo and the old man in the sky had sent them to help us because up until then they had used dogs to pull their belongings because they followed the buffalo and then they, they realized that horses could do that better. And so that's where sky dog came from. So I love it. it. Yeah, <laughs> that's where the name came from. Claire, can you talk a little bit about the SAFE Act? Because really the Mustang uh-huh. issue, is, as you get to the Washington level, is so huge. So can you talk a little bit about that, please? I can. And the SAFE Act has kind of become my holy grail of things I need to do before I die. (laughs) (laughs) At the moment, we have managed to successfully shut down horse slaughter plants in America because I think the American people, it's very clear that we don't eat horses. They are companion animals to us. They are a part of American history that is we owe an enormous debt to the horse for founding this country. I know I speak as if I'm an American, but I sort of feel like one in my blood and soon will be one. (laughs) That's awesome. But, um, you know, I think we owe owe them a debt of gratitude. Mm -hmm. And especially when I'm up in Oregon and, and we're out at these old homesteads and you think, gosh, you know, when people lived out here, back in the day if this man's wife was having a baby and he needed the doctor you know he would have to ride his horse to town or they pulled the plows and you sort of think back to then and wagon trains that pulled people out to the American West this country was founded and battles fought and horses are such an amazing companion to humans like they have been through history and the safe act so once we sort of shut down horse slaughter plants in America of course you know, where money's involved, people found a loophole. And now these poor horses are shipped to Mexico and Canada where they're slaughtered in the most awful. And I don't like to talk about it because people don't want to hear it and they turn away from it. But, you know, there is a crueler or more inhumane way to kill these beautiful animals. And the SAFE Act is basically predominantly, cleverly based in the fact that horses are not raised for human consumption. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not like a cow that, you know, has to be in and stamped by officials that they haven't had certain drugs and that they're raised specifically to be eaten. But horses, through their lives, especially racehorses that are given drugs, you know, even a, a normal horse that's given butte for pain, or they're all carcinogenic and they're all within the meat of a horse, if you want to put it that disgustingly, but then people are eating it. And uh, so based on that, horses should stop being killed for human consumption and the SAFE Act would prevent the shipping of horses across our borders to be killed and predominantly would help, you know, Mustangs make up at the moment a fairly small percentage of the horses that get shipped, although that number's growing and growing as their protections are being stripped, but it would help all horses because I think there's a myth that the horses that are being slaughtered are kind of old and useless and broken down, but they're not, you know, there's pregnant mares and mares with babies and healthy horses all the time being shipped, especially when the economy gets bad and people can't afford to feed them. So, you know, I think things have to change and that has to start at a breeding level. But I think it would force people to make those changes if suddenly there wasn't a market 
for these beautiful animals. So I want to fight the SAFE Act historically. It's had an enormous amount of support. Last time, it was for the last two years that it was in committee. It had uh, 218 co-sponsors, which is actually a really high number. A lot of things have been passed with less co-sponsors, but it never gets out of committee onto the floor for a vote, mainly because the 11 people in that committee are livestock interests and, you know, they're... They're lobbied by cattle ranchers, mining interests, and they, you know, they're financially beholden to people to kind of keep that off the floor. So I feel like this two years is a good two years to really give it a push. So we're, it's got 10 co-sponsors already because as we oh. represented every two years. Good. So I'm trying to kind of educate people to call their representatives and senators to push them to re-sponsor the SAFE Act. It's a bipartisan bill and people can easily get behind it. And it has an awful, an awful lot of support from 80 percent of Americans in all these polls say that they're not for horse slaughter. So hopefully this time it will maybe a different leadership in the House. We could maybe get it onto the floor for a vote and make a difference. Well, and yeah, not to go that direction, but slaughter really is, it's it's horrific. Like that whole, from the time that, you know, the horse is, is put in the auction kill pin and, and until death, that's really a horrific, you know, it's not like they, you know, walk them into this really peaceful um, space no. and then they're very, you know, humanely euthanized. It's it's horrific. It's sickening. And so I, I do want people to be aware that it's not a good end. It really isn't. We're not just being frivolous and being like, well, all the ponies should have a great life. You know, it's really a rescue when this happens. We're saving them from it really a is. horrific end. Horrific. You know, it's funny. Someone commented on something I said yesterday about their husband was sort of arguing, you know, what's the difference between a cow and a horse? Well, mm. I could go on about that for a really long time, but I do believe, it's my belief, and I feel like I have a lot of anecdotal evidence of this, that horses are the most extraordinary animals in terms of their being very sensitive. And, you know, I think being prey animals, they heighten certain senses. And I think very much, you know, it's why they're used in kind of equine therapy. I think they can feel things. I think they can sense an emotion in people. I think Mm -hmm. they can, they're very in tune with the other members of their herd. They feel really deeply and the familiar bonds that they make, you know, that love that they show each other. And it's extraordinary to watch, you know, within a band of wild horses or even domestic horses, the bonds they form. And I think they are very, very much more aware of what is happening to them. And I think really they do understand, you know, from running to an auction, to then, you know, if you imagine a wild horse, especially that's been rounded up from the wild and maybe hasn't even been handled that much, to then have to go through this entire process. It's just horrifying to imagine that every single clanging gate, you know, on and off trailers, not understanding where they are, they've already lost their families, you know, clinging to each other. And then the trips to Mexico and Canada are horrifying because they're put onto these huge trailers filled with other horses, you know, where horses are dying and being trampled on and they don't get given water and food for the entire, you know, four or five day journey. The state they're in by the time they get off into these corrals that in Canada or Mexico is just already terrible and an enormous amount of suffering. And then the way that they're killed, it's awful. So I read this thing that a man that works on a slaughterhouse floor, he was like, we don't have time to properly kill these animals. So they're kind of hung up by their back legs after being, have a bolt in their head to stun them. And then their throats are cut to bleed out but they are not dead right. and they're skinned and disemboweled and they usually die suffocating in their own blood, right. you know, hanging upside down. 
that is not a way to and these horses have given so much usually you know when I see camp horses or prison horses that have done every single thing asked of them and are really well trained and worth a lot and valuable in in the things that they could do being killed for no other reason than for somebody to make money and you know it's always down to greed and profit and somebody along each part of the chain is making money from the suffering of this animal and the overbreeding does need to stop yes yeah absolutely and i would encourage the only thing i would say to the general person that has a horse and i hear this all the time because people call us up and ask us take a horse and they'll be like well you know she's 25 years old now so no one can ride her but you know all the kids learn to ride on her and we love her and uh, and she just doesn't have any teeth in her she's really expensive because we have to give her special food and you know she's just kind of standing there and I'm like it's hard to say but it's like euthanize her like put her to sleep at the place that she lived her whole life amongst friends lovingly mm-hmm. you know it's what you want to wring that last two hundred dollars out of her after everything she's done for you you know because that's really all it is and also i think the human doesn't want to take on that responsibility or go through that sadness but that's what you owe them you know after they've given so much to you to be there with them and to euthanize them put to sleep and there's such a massive difference between euthanizing horse and what they're going to go through you know and you're sort of playing russian roulette right. when you take them to an auction there isn't going to be a home and a farm with a green pasture that someone's <laughs> going to do all those things you don't want to do for a horse they haven't got an emotional investment in i mean you know the chances are they're going to end up in that bad place so you know i would ask anyone to do that like a horse is for life and sometimes i get resentful especially with the horses we have where really it is someone that's just dumping them with us or doesn't want to go through that and even we have a horse called Barney who's a 19 year old Mustang he's amazing he's like 16 two and this barn near us a really really fancy dressage hunter jumper barn I mean you go there and everyone has custom trailers and they're wearing (laughs) britches and it's very fancy and we felt like we should have showered before we went there but (laughs) they, they contacted us to kind of say you know everyone loves Barney and everyone learned to ride on him he's given lessons to special needs kids and he's been here for 18 years but he's gone lame so now the barn owner's gonna euthanize him because he which I appreciate they weren't going to send him to auction but I was like wow you know like you all love him but none of you want to step up for him and help him and you know so we took him and he's been like a a real joy but I think people need to understand you can't just use a horse and then get rid of him when he's not any use to you or making any money so you know I would hope that's a message that hits home and also to educate people about what does happen when you take a horse to auction like oh I don't want a brown horse anymore I want a flashier paint or you know something and you keep swapping horses like it's a car but it isn't and you need to to take ownership of the one that you have and give it a good quality of life and if not I mean I would literally say put a 10 year old horse to sleep if if you're going if it's going to end up in a bad place that's a gift that you're giving that horse and uh, it's a horrible thing to say because it might be a sound and healthy horse but the fate it's going to befall is worse than what you could possibly do for them. Right, the kindness that you could afford them. That's exactly right. So Claire, as I'm researching Skydog and I'm loving everything I'm reading through your website and through social media I love that, I love everything you guys do but you guys are different. You're not just 
a regular rescue, um, which is awesome. I'm not trying to say anything negative about rescues because they do amazing work. But I love that, you know, it looked like your your ranch in Bend, you try to reunite your Mustang families and you provide all this land and it's not, they don't get brought into the stall every night and given their fancy feed. You have horses who, you know, you just had posted you hadn't seen in a while because you've got 9,000 acres and they're out there being horses. Talk Uh to me a little bit more about reuniting families and why that's important to you. Oh, it is. uh, It is the joy of what we do because we sort of try and take a percentage of horses from all different things. And at the beginning of the year, we have a board meeting about, you know, okay, this year we can take four kill pen rescues and that's it because it's not something we want to focus on, but we also want to raise awareness for the Safe Act, for example. But probably the reuniting families is one of the most amazing things that I love the most and that the Goliath and Red Lady story kind of captured a lot of people's imaginations and it actually strangely is very difficult to reunite a family simply because you have to have pictures of a family band in the wild to be able to even understand which horses go together because usually when they're rounded up it just tends to be that the the way the helicopters do a round up they tend to sort of push lots of different bands into one place and then they'll run a huge group of horses in together so there's very often not an opportunity to ever see what stallion went with what mare because they're very quickly separated you know the stallions taken from the mares and the babies are taken from their mothers and there is not an opportunity to ever kind of understand that family unless wild horse photographers have gone out and taken pictures and with Goliath that is what happened and the Salt Wells Creek horses were very kind of famous photographically and a lot of different wild horse photographers went out there and particularly photographed Goliath but also photographed another horse called Maestro that we have and um, so it was a possibility to be able to reunite them and Goliath was very well known very well loved and the day actually that he was rounded up a friend of mine called me and they were just sobbing like you know that Goliath had been taken and uh I had a meeting with the BLM PR lady about three days later and I said, you know what, I'm going to ask her. And I showed her the pictures and I said, look, he's 25 years old. You know, he could most likely die during gelding and then that's going to be even worse PR for you like it's happened before where much loved horse has been gelded and and didn't make it and I said couldn't you just let this one horse go you know just because you kind of have a bad PR image and just to listen to the advocates and go okay do you know what we're going to do this we didn't know he's 25 years old he's an older horse you know we're going to have to geld him and just send him to long-term holding we'll let him live out his life in the wild but she said in her position was, and I think the BLM have become so defensive and so entrenched that they defend their position constantly and won't kind of, well, most of them. I do know some that actually I work with very well, but she said, you know, it's a nice idea, Claire, but if we let him go, then it's just going to open the floodgates and it's going to be, you know, now this one and that one. And sure. I said, but couldn't you just do this one? Right. And you don't have to do it again. Just like show that you've listened and this is a really good candidate and genetically, he's a curly Mustang that makes amazing babies and that that's why people go out there to see these curlies. And so anyway, it was a no, but then he got put up on the internet adoption, which seemed extraordinary because if you've ever seen Goliath, he's not like a regular horse. He's massive. He's like a bull. Like he's <laughs> so large in every single way. And you can't really imagine him being in a stall for the next three years. You know, I think right. he, he would have died of a broken heart. And so we sort of became committed to giving him back his freedom. But then the most amazing part of it was that this woman who had adopted Red Lady, his lead mare, three months earlier because they'd had an adoption event for the mayors first 
and uh, she asked them, you know, she said, I want to reunite them. So that was an amazing thing. We reunited them. She had been pregnant when they were rounded up. So she then had a baby, their last all together at Bodie, and they all lived together as a family. And actually, no one knows this, but this year we're going to do it again with one of our other horses, this sort of same, the same herd and and another horse's lead mare is going to be reunited with him. So it's just something. And I also just, we had some photographs of the Warm Springs Roundup, and there was a family that were rounded up together and we're going to take them and reunite them and for me it's just it's just really important I think I think it's something I'd like to see the BLM do more of that when they round up horses that they at the very least you know in these days of social media where everyone's carrying an iPhone Mm -hmm. how difficult would it be to take a picture of a horse when it's processed and give it the tag number it has so that because there are so many horses even from that Wyoming roundup that people loved and that disappeared that we've never been able to find and the BLM tend to kind of bring them to one facility and they process them and then they often take them to these private facilities where no one has access so you can't see them and there are more horses that would get adopted I think if people knew where they were and could actually locate them and had a tag number which they can look up and that's something I'd really love to see you know that these horses at least for the 30 days after they're rounded up they have public access and people can go there and and take note of their tag number even if the BLM won't and so we could follow where they are because they just get gathered into adoption events all over the country or possibly worse to slaughter out of the back door, which is definitely at this point happening. And uh, that these beloved animals that people follow in the wild and could reunite more families. Because I think, I don't think people understand the bonds that these horses form. And it's something that humans identify with. And I think it's why the Goliath story captured people's imagination so much. Because when we filmed the reunion and these horses see each other for the first time, it's the most extraordinary thing. And I just think it emphasizes the trauma and sadness that these horses go through, you know, not just to be ripped out of, you know, the wild, to then be ripped away from their families and never see them again and spend the rest of their lives on a dirt pen. There are different ways to manage these horses and roundups and gathers are not working. There's just stockpiling thousands and thousands of horses and now being stripped of all their protections are more and more shipping to slaughter. And these are in the 1971 Wild Horse and Brewer Act that was brought in to protect them. You know, they are talked about as living icons of the American West and they should be protected as such. And I think that at the moment they're managing them to extinction. I think more people need to be aware because I think more people would care if they knew what was happening. Other methods of managing them on the range and also raising AMLs, which would mean that, you know, more horses are allowed on a certain enormous piece of land that they're given would help them. You know, there's many different ways and many different things that could be done, including promoting adoptions, because they do very little in terms of they stick 10 pictures up of 1,000 horses that were gathered. You have to do all the rest of the work, like understanding what that horse is. So Claire, talk about adopting a Mustang, because it's not quite going in and getting a regular horse. There are certain requirements that you need to have for your property, uh-huh. right? And then yeah, yeah, talk about what a person should be mentally and, you know, economically prepared for when they adopt a Mustang. Well, that's a big question. But <laughs> for me, it's kind of amazing because I go up to the BLM crowds a lot because I work with them and I have a good relationship with our local crowds in Burns, Oregon. And I would definitely encourage anyone that was going to adopt a Mustang to try. And obviously, this is more difficult if they're on the East Coast. But if they can actually get to an adoption event or a crowd to actually be able to interact with these horses, because there are horses, I'll go to the crowds and I'll get out of my truck because I see a horse. And 
and a certain amount of horses will come up to the fence and they are very curious and they all, they want to sniff you and nose you and they're horses that just on a very basic level you're going to know that that horse is a little easier to train than a bunch of 11-year-old stallions that are going as far away as possible from you. And maybe those are the kind of horses that should be either re-released or shipped to long-term holding, some of which are good. You know, they're they're given sort of back a certain amount of freedom, you know, in these big ranches that get paid to take these horses. But if you're adopting one, I would say it's funny. There was a girl here the other day, amazing young girl who wants to come here. She was doing a project for school and she was telling me that she, she had adopted a Mustang and she went to Ridgecrest, which is a corral in California, and of course in her mind she was like she wanted a red roan it was this height that was a boy <laughs> and of course she ended up with completely the opposite like a horse approached her and basically oh. put her nose on her and picked her and she was like this is my horse so I think not to have a kind of fixed idea about what you want and really to kind of let that be a part of the process mm-hmm. and there are if you adopt a horse from the BLM through a normal channel where you fill out an adoption form which is very easy to do you have to kind of also draw a picture of the corral there going to live in and they have to have certain amount of shade and protection which is ironic because they have none in the corral so (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why they're asking us to give them something they're not affording them themselves but nowadays the one thing I would say it used to be a complicated and off-putting process mainly as a protection for the horses so they don't end up in a bad place but nowadays it is so easy to buy a sale authority horse which is a horse that technically and this often isn't the case but technically has been offered for adoption in an adoption event or on the internet three times or they're over 10 years old they can be sold as a sale authority horses and th- that horse doesn't have it's $25 it has much less protection so you literally can go and buy the horse and it's yours then when you adopt a horse you actually adopt the horse and for a year you don't get the title to the horse because and okay. they you're supposed to have it inspected by a vet and then you get the paperwork signed off on on the BLM and you get title for that horse so for the first year it's not yours but a sale authority horse it's yours immediately you own it you have a title to it and it is just I mean there are so many thousands some some entire corrals now I think Idaho all their horses can be bought sale authority now so you know and now there's even worse things that you can go and buy 24 at a time in a day so obviously those horses are just literally being shipped straight to slaughter but it's a lot easier now that's the good news for someone that genuinely does want to adopt a Mustang and most people will focus on those horses that are one or two or three years old because they're going to be easier to train. There are also foals that are born in corrals all the time. There is literally, if you thought of any horse, like I would like a 16-hand, three-year-old boy. You know, you could find it by going to corrals <laughs> and literally pointing and going, I would like that horse. And they are, I think Mustangs are the most intelligent horses. They have senses and instincts that no other horses, you know, a domestic horse has kind of had that bred out of them. But I've had so many lessons from people, this woman who adopted two mares that she just had to save and they were wild. She didn't know anything about training a horse. She literally sat in their stall every single night. She would come home from work. She would sit there, read a book, sometimes read it to them. She'd talk to them. And these horses wanted nothing to do with her for several months. And in the end, a horse's natural curiosity and and desire to connect is so strong. Eventually, they can, and now she can halter the horses, she can pet the horses, and it's not like she wants to do much more with them. But there, I wish every every dressage barn or every hunter jumper fancy barn in America 
would adopt one or two Mustangs and have people that learn a certain discipline. They're like, okay, I want to get on my dressage horse and do these certain things. If they went through the process of actually gentling a Mustang, what they would learn about themselves and what they would learn about a horse and the way a horse's mind is, that is so valuable and so amazing. And I just think it's a journey that any single person that's ever taken it with a particular horse has never regretted. It's the most amazing gift and the most amazing bond that you form with these horses. And what you would learn is just priceless, you know, because you learn patience and you learn to listen to the horse. You know, if you do go down the road of training one and they're very cheap, most Mustangs you buy Mustang for $125 or $25. And so all the effort on your part is more in terms of putting the time in and being consistent and showing up and and understanding what that horse responds to and what it doesn't respond to and adjusting accordingly and there's just I don't know there's such a beauty in that so I would encourage anyone even if they already all their life have had quarter horses or a certain kind of horse you know to go down that road with a Mustang. It's just, you'll never regret it. I love to hear that. Claire, can you share some stories of horses you've adopted or situations that you've been in, some that have like really touched your heart? I'm sure there are a million. No, there are so many, but there are some that come to mind. Dream in particular is, is a mare that is just so special. She she probably was the most starved horse that we've ever taken in. I mean, her body score, she sort of appeared almost dead when she came oh. to us. And if you see videos of her kind of backing off the trailer and she was a skeleton, but beyond, I mean, she, every single bone of hers was sticking out and wow. a lot of people didn't think she would make it. And it was a kind of huge risk for us to take that horse because even, you know, transporting her here for the two hours that we did was risky, but I knew she would be dead within a day or two if we didn't. So I remember every single morning, she was at Malibu by herself for a certain amount of time. So I just looked after her, me and her. And every single morning when I would walk down to the top barn, if I didn't see her head sticking out immediately, my heart would sink and I would just think, no, you know, did she make it? And so bringing her back to health has been the most extraordinary thing. You know, she's been here six months now. She, um... Yeah, it actually makes me quite emotional to think about because so many people, so many volunteers came here and helped every single day and she was on a very strict refeeding protocol. We use UC Davis refeeding protocols, which means you have to kind of build them up with a little bit of alfalfa every few hours. So to begin with, it was incredibly hard because she wanted to eat a lot. She would eat what we gave her very quickly and then she wasn't allowed anything for two hours. As she came back to life, it was the most extraordinary thing because within kind of two or three weeks, she got an opinion on certain things. And before she just very, she stood there leaning against the wall and really there was no light in her eyes. And she kind of just stood there and it was all she could do really to stay alive. But then these little sparks came back in her and she would have an opinion about, you know, okay, I don't want to be touched there or that hurts or I don't want to come out today or I want more hay. And she got sort of a little bit more bossy and now... <laughs> She makes everybody here laugh so much. She's still at Malibu. She's now, I mean, you wouldn't really know she had ever been the star of tours that she was. She looks very healthy. She runs around. But she has an obsession with the two donkeys that live here in that (laughs) it is her entire day is to guard these donkeys. Even though they don't want to be guarded, they know perfectly well what to do and where to go. And and they almost have Stockholm Syndrome now that they've sort of become (laughs) imprisoned by dreams who have to protect them at all times I'm not sure from what but (laughs) she runs around and she'll tell every single horse like you have to go over there that's my food no that is my food no you must go over there and just this (laughs) constant micromanaging 
bossing, just kind of like control freak sort of thing. And she <laughs> makes everybody laugh. I mean, she just has such a huge personality. And when I think of where she came from, I love every bit of it. Like, you know, she's my spirit animal. I think <laughs> I would be a bossy lead mare if I was a horse. And she, she just fills everyone with so much joy. And people come here and just groom her every day Aww. and love on her. And she's amazing. And so... That's Dream, who came back from starvation. We've also, I'm trying to think some of the stories of the horses up in Oregon. And Salmon Adeline are two amazing horses. They they actually were rescued. They were used as tripping horses in Mexican rodeos, and their legs were covered in rope burns, and they were oh, very, very scared of people. And now they actually came in very close to each other and are bonded now and spend all their time together. And there are another couple of horses that have kind of come back strong, and they're just, they're so full of life and vibrant and for everything that they went through being abused neglected being treated cruelly they've come back with such love for people that That i think horses can teach so much in terms of they live in the moment you know like dream doesn't stand there feeling resentful about this man that starved her you know or Mm -hmm. dwelling on it or standing in morbid reflection about things that happened in her past that were bad and people that were bad she just lives in the moment like there's my hay there's (laughs) moses there's you know there's my donkeys and she just is so present as they all are you know in terms of kind of living in forgiveness and having new experiences and not being scarred by the ones that they have had you know and Mm -hmm. it's a promise that I make to every horse that gets here you know that a hand is only ever going to mean love and gentle you know a gentle touch and that it's never they're never going to be hit again or hurt again or starved again and you know it's such an honor and a privilege to give them that gift and you know that they know consistently and horses that have been starved are very food aggressive when you first start feeding them up you know especially when you put them with other horses they're so aggressive around protecting their food because they have learned that it might not come anymore and so they want to take it for themselves and guard it and keep it and push other horses off their food you know but as they learn to trust that the food's going to come three times a day and they don't have to be as protective and then you kind of see them sharing their haven with another horse for the first time and just kind of like letting go of that fear around it and the same with people you know that you might raise your hand too quickly and and they'll they'll wince and flinch and they stop doing that because they realize like oh that doesn't happen here you know and these people only pet my face and and just those little healings that you see happen quite quickly in a lot of cases are so beautiful and I kind of you know I live in, in Los Angeles a lot of people you know you'll see these people on Instagram putting all these kind of like you know I'm so spiritual because you know I have now gone from a silver turban to a gold turban and I've gone to India and it's all very sort of public you know their spirituality and I've had moments where particularly that you know we had a horse come in down in California and she was in this slippers truck she was drenched in sweat and she put her body horizontally to protect the other horses in the in the trailer and they actually dragged her out by her tail she's half blind so she didn't know what was going on and when she came here she was weaving in the stall and terrified and her mane was matted and I remember going down and I spent probably five hours just in the stall talking to her as I untangled her mane and it was like through that five hours how her body settled and she relaxed and calmed and like that was the most spiritual thing that I can think of in my life because it was just it wasn't done for any other reason then you're just kind of trying to offer that horse some 
calm and some peace. And it was just, there are so many moments like that where I feel it is the closest connection I've ever had to any kind of God of an understanding. There are these just moments where you have these connections with horses and you feel like, I feel like I tried every other thing to kind of, you know, okay, this is going to make me happy or this is going to make me happy. But none of that happiness that you externalize is sustainable. But I think since I began doing this and working with horses and bringing them back to life and then giving a horse back its freedom, it's just such a journey that you go on with these horses that's so sustainable and so joy-filled and so deep, you know, and Mm -hmm. I don't judge other people for spending their money on whatever they spend it on. And they think, you know, spending $25,000 on a purse because they they need this new purse. And (laughs) I just don't understand why they haven't woken up yet, that buying things isn't going to make you happy and it's not fulfilling and it isn't why we're put on this planet. But I don't, you know, people wake up and they're on their own journey in their own timeline. And I, I don't want to judge that, but it's like, I don't know, the awakening your compassion and kindness and like a love towards something else and being of service, which is ultimately yeah. what I feel is the most fulfilling part of this sure. is just so beautiful, you know, and you feel like you're living your best life and that you're doing something meaningful with purpose. And I'm living out my passion from childhood and getting back to what made me happy when I was eight, you know, and every single day is filled with that. So I don't know. It's just, I'm very blessed and very lucky to be able to do it is what I feel. I love it, Claire. That is so beautiful. And yeah, just the ability to serve and love and, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and sometimes maybe it is providing the best end, but you know, a lot of these horses have a lot of life as well. And so, yeah, how, yeah. how yeah. exciting. I'm loving this. Um, and I know you're <laughs> I'm very you're like, happy. Yeah. Way to go. And, and then providing education on top of it because, you know, there's only so much one person can do, but it sounds like mm-hmm. you're really trying to do a lot because, you know, your rescue and your rehab is incredible incredible, but then education as well and working, you know, at the federal levels as well. And all of those things are are also necessary. Do you have a volunteer operation as well? We do. We have, uh, especially in Malibu, we have a lot of volunteers come to help us with the horses. We don't even have that many horses here. So we have like a lot of volunteers here. And I have a couple of volunteers that help me with office things, although I've now just taken on an assistant because I realize, especially when I'm not answering emails or I'm not raising awareness or I'm not spreading the word or kind of telling people about us because oftentimes I'm taken sideways by a rescue or... You know, things that need doing with the horses, because as anyone that has even, you know, four horses, we have, you know, over 80 and a lot of them with special needs. I have tried to make a lot more time recently to kind of have people help me with the admin side of it and the educational side of it. So we're sort of at the moment really working hard to update the website so people have constant kind of relevant information about what they can do to help. And then, yes, there's a forms on our website where you can fill in to come. We have um, residential volunteer periods up in Oregon where people can come and stay because we're slightly in the middle of nowhere. We're kind of an hour from Bend. But in the winter, a long way. So people can come stay. We have beautiful accommodation. They can help feed the horses and, you know, help with chores, which also involves, you know, picking up poop. And it, mm-hmm. it is work. So don't come unless you want to work. <laughs> but we also, you know, we have people come up and take photographs of the horses, anything really that's going to raise awareness. And so you can always write to us. There's emails on the website as volunteer forms where you can tell us a little bit about yourselves. But you can come help out 8 to 12 in Malibu and help Moses and Scotty who work here and pick up poop, pet horses, 
kiss some noses. You know, I always say to volunteers, because some just physically, they might not be able to do very much, but they'll come and like just groom horses or love on them or give them, you know, energy work or yeah. all kinds of things, which is as much a part of their healing as the rest of it. So Absolutely. and my husband was very, my husband has done an enormous amount, as cross as I was earlier with him. He has done such an <laughs> enormous amount. You know, he, he bought the ranches for these horses to live on. He actually puts an enormous amount of his own money into, like we pay the wages of the people that work here you know he bought all the vehicles there's an enormous amount of infrastructure within the ranches that we pay for privately and then any donations that we get tends to go just to hay feed vet bills and farrier bills or things that are specifically to help the horses we bought a trailer last year when we had to evacuate for the fire i just realized we needed a new one and we managed to get donations for that and so it's always if we fundraise it's always specifically for things that are going to help the horses any people that can show up and help in any way you know we we've recently had a couple of people last night this lady was making fridge magnets you know because she saw there was an oh. offer you only had to pay for postage and i sent her a picture of goliath and she made these beautiful fridge magnets that we can either give away or put on the website sure. store and stuff so people kind of offered help in all kinds of ways jamie came and and she made the short movie about louisa and star when we went to rescue them that we're doing and she took some incredible photographs of the horses that we use on our websites like people can offer to help in so many different ways you know and mm-hmm. Ultimately, the best way people can help these horses is, you know, we say this on the website, but to contact their representatives to to basically be a voice for these horses that don't have a voice and to speak up for them and let our government know that we care about them and that we're watching what they do and to handle them humanely if they are rounding them up. There's so many different ways that we can speak up for them and telling other people because I constantly, I think in this world that we live in, everybody knows what's happening, but I'm constantly put into a different world where I'm sitting at dinner and I try and explain what I do and they go, but what do you mean slaughter them or what do you mean they round them up? Why aren't I allowed to live out there? You know, and I constantly tell this story because I feel like every time I'm in front of someone that doesn't know, it's an opportunity to kind of raise awareness and you never know where it's going to end up. I sort of feel, I have felt for quite a long time that wild horses need a film like Blackfish or The Cove or something where it's number one on Netflix and people can really understand what is happening to wild horses and pretty much up till now, the films that have been made have been like biased towards the BLM or you know there's a new movie coming out in a month that Robert Redford has made which is a fictional movie but it's the Mustang about the prison program and these are all things I think we're getting to a tipping point with wild horses where more people are caring more people are finding out so that's another way that anyone can help them is just to spread the word really well I love that and I'm excited about Jamie's uh, Jamie Baldanza's mini series coming oh, out as well too. too I think that's going to be very educational me and... too it's going to be wonderful yeah. Jamie's a wonderful voice for our wild horses and that's a thing you know it's like I wish I could do that you know I have a list as long as my arm of things I would like to do but like when I saw Jamie doing that and I saw her little pilot I was like okay go do it you know I'll support yes. you where I can because you know we need more people working together and it you know it's been a real challenge in horse advocacy because sadly so many of the big advocacy groups are kind of in competition with each other for funds and then we end up fighting amongst ourselves but it's like the BLM knows what they want you know the cattle mm-hmm. ranchers know what they want the Department of the Interior know what they want and it's like advocates end up fighting amongst themselves about they can't agree on anything and it's more about them raising funds and helping the horses sometimes. So the more people like Jamie 
that come on board with like a new passion that really are putting the horses first and making choices like I do. I ask myself a question every single time, like, is this going to help the horses? Not, is it going to help me? Right. You know, I don't want to be famous. I don't put my face all over my social media, my voice <laughs> on there a lot because I, I can't shut up and I talk to the horses a lot. But, you know, it's about them and it's about mm-hmm. their stories. And, you know, they're the ones that need to be told. So, you know, the more people telling them, the better. Yeah. How great so, is this? Yay, though, like, yeah, well, for sure. And, <laughs> and you too, you know, that's a massive part of it, you know, like, I have a million things to do, but if I can jump on and, you know, the, the wonderful people like you that have built an audience of people that care about horses and that want to educate themselves about issues, you know, that the fact that you are raising awareness and spreading that word and letting people from all different, you know, walks of life or they're loving horses in different ways, is just beautiful and wonderful. So I'll always take the time to do that. So I'm grateful, really grateful to be able to do that. Well, so thank you. Yeah. Thank you too, Claire, because, you know, I know that especially you who are, who are sacrificing and sanctuaries and rescue and, and those kinds of things. It's a full time. It's 24 seven, you know, you're doing stuff all of the time. And so I just love that, you know, a couple of the people you've mentioned doing the things that they're able to do and doing the best that they're able yes. to do. You're doing the best with what you are, you know, you've exactly. been given and Jamie's doing this awesome thing that she's been given. And that gal who's making the magnets yeah. is doing her thing. And it's so exactly. cool to see us all come together and really, like you said, exactly. do what's best for the horse. And I love it. I just yep. love it. Me too. Yeah. And thank you. I'm I'm really grateful for you talking. I I love talking about horses. I probably <laughs> went on way too long in any of my answers, but once you stop I have to think to myself, oh, what it, you know, and it, it actually sometimes gives me a lot of insights and helps me get clear about, you know, what I'm doing and, and redefining my mission and where the focus is. So it's always helpful. I'm, I'm just really glad. So thank you for what you're doing. And, and I hope between the lot of us, we can help more wild horses keep their freedom or get adopted or be treated more kindly and, and humanely. And yes, that's my prayer. Yes, I love it. Well, Claire, thank you. I've this entire conversation has been just a balm for my soul. I I'm excited. Your website is spectacular, so I want to send people there. It's easy to donate. It's easy to um, yep. do research. It's easy to get a hold of you and learn more. Yep. It's easy to do these things. So Absolutely. yeah, so we want people to do that and yeah, and just be able to do the best. Yes. Well, Claire, best of luck. Have a wonderful, wonderful thank day. You. And I will know how will. appreciative I am of your time because. I know that, you know, it's a sacrifice. And so I do appreciate it. Thank you, Claire. I love this interview. It's so hope-filled. Claire inspires me. If you've ever wondered what one person with a passion can do, Skydog Sanctuary is what one person can do. Claire started with a dream, and after years of hard work and surrounding herself with like-minded people, Skydog continues to grow. So be encouraged. You may feel like your reach is small, but even if it's only one life you affect, it's a life. And what is of more value than a life? If you'd like to learn more about Skydog Ranch, check them out at skydogranch.org, and we'll have links to all the things we talked about in show notes. Thank you, Claire and the Skydog team, and thank you for listening to The Horse Cure. Thank you for listening to the Horse Cure Podcast, the podcast for those of us who know that horses really are the cure for all that ails you. You can find more information about each episode and more podcasts at thehorsecure.com and by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.